I think a lot of what <clears throat> what we feel what we're feeling in our midst right now, you know, I've had I've been contemplating, um, you know, the feeling that there's there's really been a, not been a time. I'm, I'm thinking of Brother Ossie and Brother Zach on their way over to South Africa. You know, you look around the world and you just feel that despite all of the, the trials of the, the pandemic and things like that, that this is just an unprecedented time that we're living in where people are hearing the voice of God. They are feeling God, uh, their hearts having been prepared, the seeds of God's word are being planted in their heart. And you just feel like there's this hope and this faith that's, that's, uh, that's, that's really sprouting. It's coming to birth. There's just this... Um, they're catching a vision, and the Word of God is coming to us, and it's saying, move forward. Take, take the steps that God is, t is telling you to take. Don't, don't look at even something so small as to say, you're supposed to go down to, to Waco for a week and look at, your, uh, look, look at the impossibilities of your situation and determine that that's not possible. Wait on the Lord and see how He might provide in this situation the things that He may work. You know, and I, I've, I've, encountered, um, I've encountered a number of situations the past couple of weeks that I, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd mention, you know, just in, in various people's lives, just, just in the course of, of, of working through uh, the trials and tribulations of living for God and, and living and uh, walking out our lives as part of this intentional Christian community, where I, I think it, it really works out very similar to what Brother Rowan shared, where, you know, he heard the word of the Lord, as he felt it, inspiring faith in him from Brother Howard, saying at this symposium years before, this is going to go all over the world, and him looking at the situation and just saying, I mean, I'm all for that, but I see no way. And yet, I know that in that time between when Brother Howard would have shared that and the time that they're preparing to enter into, I know that that was not an easy path for our brothers and sisters in South Africa. I think they would testify. There were lessons to be learned. There were steps of faith that were taken that, that you know, at first they didn't see the fruit from it. I'm sure there were lessons learned from making missteps along the way. All of us have those things in our lives. And I, I've encountered it where there'll be someone who will be preparing to take a, a step of faith that God is, is, is telling them to take, and then all of a sudden they are encountering incredible opposition, or they're encountering trials in their life, and, and they'll find themselves saying, this, I must be on the wrong path because it's not supposed to be this hard. You know, That's, 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 that's one of the things I'm, I'm going to try to address here today. Um, others will hear the, the word of the Lord, and you, you, feel, you feel like they're hearing from God. And then, without any regard for anything else, they just, they just start running, and somehow, it feels like maybe in retrospect, they look at it and they, and they say, I started running in my own strength, you know? I, I ran forward with my own ideas of how it was going to come to pass. And in, and in that, I encountered some, some failure at the beginning. And, and I know that in those situations, that it's very, uh, it's very easy to, be, to say in those times, but I, I thought, I had good intentions. I, I thought I heard from God. I thought this was what I thought this was His word. I thought this was what what He was telling me to do. And you know why did this happen? And and you can again begin to to back up and, and withdraw from faith and begin to question what's really going on here. Uh, another one that that we encountered was just someone who again hears the word of God, feels the faith rise up in their heart, and then begins to look around at circumstances that are indeed very difficult. 
They look and they see the impossibility of their situation. They look around. They, 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 it may not even be a situation that they ask to be put in. You know, it, it really might be uh, just their circumstances and their lot in life have placed them within a certain framework of situations or relationships that they say, I look at this and I say, I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to do God's will. I see that ultimately his great purpose is, is down there and I see it and I'm beginning to catch a vision for it. I see no way to get, to, get there. And in that, in that time, it's very easy to start stalling out in our faith because we say, I thought God was telling me to take a step. I thought he was calling me to move forward and I just, I don't see how I can, how I can get there, you know. Thank you, Jesus. And I, I wrote down a couple of key questions that I feel like is, are important. And one was I wrote, should we falter in our faith or doubt God's word when we encounter difficulties and trials along our journey? That's a question. Should we regard the difficult situations or circumstances that we find ourselves in and decide that they make it impossible for God's word for our lives, the hopes, the dreams that he's put in our hearts, that it makes it impossible for that to come to pass? And even further, if we fail in our initial efforts in attempting to bring to pass God's purpose, maybe through our own strength or our own efforts or what we think is faith, does that mean that God is automatically done with us? <laughs> our failure is irredeemable, that we never heard from God to begin with? Or would God work in our lives despite and even through our failures to teach us something? And if we would listen, we'd obey, that God would use that to prepare us for the fulfillment of His promises in our lives. You know, we want things to be easy. I know we do. And I'm sorry, but I think that when we look at it in, in God's Word, we do not see, I cannot think, I know I've said it before, but I, I read through all of those heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, and if I really contemplate every single one of those who are listed as those heroes of faith, I cannot say that any of them had an easy path. <laughs> I can't say that any of them uh, did not have circumstances that were difficult. I cannot think of one who, you know, or, or, or I can think of quite a few of them who may have been one of those that... Um, uh, took a step at first and, and, and felt, felt like they fell flat on their faces. And all of them had difficult circumstances. And yet they overcame by believing in God and, and, and knowing that everything that they went through was helping them to truly learn to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, when, when you think about us encountering our, the opposition and our trials and say, shouldn't this be easier? I could not help as I was praying to think about how the children of Israel were in bondage in, in Egypt. They, God was calling them on an exodus. And you think about all that God did, all of the plagues and the signs and wonders that they experienced, the, the impossibility of the situation of being at the, at the Red Sea, and God parting the Red Sea. And yet I found myself reading through the book of Genesis, probably through like Exodus 15, you know, right up through the you know, 36 or, or whatever, somewhere in that, in that area. And you read the story of what unfolds. You know, it's like they come through that. God has already told them, I'm leading you out of bondage and I'm leading you into the promised land. They're looking ahead and they're, they're seeing it. They don't see it yet. But after everything that God has already done in their lives and the miracles, they come to a place where they just hit bitter waters. We all hit those times, don't we, where you just, you know that the waters, this, oh God, this is a difficult time. And what was their response? As soon as they hit that, the first trial on the opposite side, they'd just been rejoicing with tambourines. They'd been, you know, singing 
uh, rejoicing that God had brought this victory. They journeyed just a little bit in. I don't remember how long. They encounter some bitter waters. In other words, they encounter some opposition and some trials. And instantly, what do they start doing? Complaining. They're grumbling and complaining. Amen. And, you know, that's human nature. You know, that just comes up. That, that sinful human nature. And yet, God was there, ready in that moment. And he did, despite them, to make those waters sweet. He had a provision there. But there was this struggle and battle that they faced. They went along a little bit further, and then they went through some, some lean times where they were hungry. So here they are, hungry, and rather than again saying, God, I remember when you made the bitter water sweet. I remember your deliverance that you worked. I know this is your plan. This is your purpose. You've told me to move forward. I don't know how I can move forward if I'm so hungry, but I'm trusting in you. Instead, they start longing for the food of, of Egypt, where God had just brought them out of, complaining once again. And, and God came through, and, and men ate angels' food, as it says elsewhere. You know, God gave them everything that they needed, and we know that they even, they even struggled with that. We went along a little further, and then they hit a time where there were, it wasn't just no uh, bitter waters. There was no water. There they were, and they had a rock. That's all they had. And in this time, Moses told them, you're testing God and you're complaining. And once again, God brought water and he brought it right out of the rock. No, that does not fit with our understanding of anything. And yet God brought that water from, from the rock. I thought about Exodus 19, three through six. Brother Kevin, would you want to read that? This is right as Moses is uh, being called up to the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Amen. So God discloses his purpose. He doesn't lay out everything for them, but once again, he says, I am gonna, I'm gonna bear you up on eagle's wings. I'm gonna be everything that you need me to be for you. No details again. He doesn't say, now then you're going to encounter this and you're going to have this trial. But he just, he just shares it again. And after all that, when Moses was delayed on the mountain, they just couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't have, they couldn't bring their flesh, their carnal mind, their perspectives, their fears. You know, who knows? Uh, you know, when we get in those situations like that, where we say, God, you're telling me to move forward. And I just, you know... It seems like the answer to how that's going to happen is just, it doesn't seem like it's right there. And that's when we just start playing the, the what if game. And that is just a terrible game to play when we are just finding ourselves gaming out all of the things that could be happening. And pretty soon we're convinced that maybe Moses died up there on the mountain or, or, or maybe rather than trusting the word that he had just spoken to his people and holding on. And instead we had the golden calf. We had the people that sat down to eat and then rose up to play. They just couldn't wait on God. Would you read Deuteronomy 8, 
2 through 5? Yes, sir. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Amen. This was spoken right before they were to enter into the promised land. And I'll tell you, when I was reading it, I was just weeping earlier as I was praying for this time. Because it's like, at those times of, of trials and difficulty, when they wanted to say, shouldn't this be easier? I thought you were leading us into the promised land. I thought you were delivering us from slavery. You know, they put God to the test, but really, he was actually testing them. Amen. He was seeking to know their hearts. He was wanting to see, do you really think that even my great purpose is ever going to come to pass through your own efforts of your flesh? No, you're not going to actually live just by natural bread that I provide for you. You're actually to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This isn't a natural kingdom that I am bringing to pass. Ultimately, this is a spiritual kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I, I hope that it raises faith in our hearts today when we hear that. And it, it convicted me as well. Because as we, we encounter these situations, let us not be those that when we encounter it, that we, we ask ourselves, why isn't this easier? And we begin to question everything. Let's remember that if God's calling us to move forward, if he's telling us to step out, and then we encounter such a difficult situation in our lives, can we, can we be committed in our hearts to say, God, I know this is a test, and I'm going to pass this test. <laughs> I know that if you're dealing with me in some way, then you're treating me as a son, and I'm not going to miss this moment of opportunity. Amen. If there's a lie that we've got to reject, and I feel like it is so strong in our culture today, and it is that... Everything, if there's any opposition or any difficulty in your life, it really, that ought not to be. You should flee from that. You should find a safe space somewhere. You should not be troubled in any way. You shouldn't, be, uh, shouldn't face any physical affliction. You shouldn't face any mental anguish, any pressure whatsoever. All of those things are bad all the way across the board. And I'm not, I am not advocating for then saying, okay, well then we just need to look for something hard and, and decide that we're just gonna walk around on our knees all day or you know something like that just because that's difficult or hard. That is not what God is calling us to. But he is calling us from a broad and easy path that Jesus said le leads to destruction. And he's calling us to keep our eyes on a narrow and difficult path but one that leads to life. Amen. And that's what we're doing. Everywhere that we're going, we encounter these forks in the road where we can see something, where we can say, Lord, I, I got to move forward. That seems a little easier. That road seems a little bit, with a, with a little less pressure. But there's this feeling if we've got that love of the truth growing in our hearts that says, but Lord, this looks straight and right, even if it is narrow and difficult. And if we can just continue up that path, we're going to see victories in our lives. I remember years ago, uh, it was back when Brother Dan and I had our group together, and I, I remember Brother Dan ministering very powerfully in that meeting from, uh, from multiple passages, but the one I'd like to refer to out of all of that was, was where Paul was speaking to Timothy about the end times, and he said that men would be lovers of themselves. 
And I don't remember what lexicon Brother Dan was reading from or what commentary, but it was basically a, um, it was a summation or, or a, um, a definition of what a lover of themselves would be. And I, I've never forgotten it. I wrote it down in my Bible. And it was something, I think I'm pretty accurate when it says, a lover of themselves was someone whose primary goal was things would be easy or pleasant for them. So when we walk through life and we are just, I wish this was easy, I wish this was easier, I wish this was more pleasant, then we've got to say, God, am I starting to entertain a spirit that is going to grow stronger and stronger as, as the end times come to a, a greater and greater completion? God, help me to reject that. Amen. You know, I, I, I would say that in addition to the Bible, and I, I don't think on one level that we need any addition to what God's Word is saying, but I would say that I've even read some statistics over the last couple of months that really got my, or some studies, uh, ones that were published in uh, medical and psychological journals. Um, and one of them was just, it was one of the largest studies done of people and their occupation. And they were, they were talking about how uh, they were asking them questions about the type of job that they had, um, what they did, how difficult it was, how demanding was it on their time, and also the goal was to discover how much meaning and fulfillment do you have from it. And what do you think they discovered? The jobs that made the most money paid you the most money and were the easiest, gave you the most flexibility, those were the jobs that brought the most meaning, meaning and happiness into their lives. You think that was the result? No. <laughs> You're right, exactly. They actually found that consistently, people whose jobs were demanding and difficult, that, that, and those are the ones that, that most consistently brought back the answers that said, this is the most meaningful, the most fulfilling thing that I feel like I can do. And I think, I think that, that goes to show why so many in our, our, our culture are so, there's, there's just an epidemic of loneliness and depression because there's just people that are literally looking for the type of work and, and everything that would be just most easy and pleasant for them. Thank you, Jesus. Another one was there was this large study and it was like rapid questions from what I understand that were coming to people. And they had to respond pretty quickly to these things. And it was kind of like out of the abundance of their heart, they were going to be answered, right? Just, and so they would get questions about everything, and then along the way, they'd get a question that would be like, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and you would respond like either yes or no, true or false, or, or you'd respond, how favorably would you agree with this statement? And so there were statements like, um, my personal happiness and, uh, and enjoyment in life is very important to me. Uh, another one was, and I think I'll get it pretty close, it was, how happy I am at any given moment uh, says a lot about how meaningful and fulfilling my life is. And if you can believe it, um, the people who responded most favorably to those questions in follow-up, in terms of the outcome of their life, they were the people that proved the most lonely, the most depressed, and who consistently had the worst results to the decisions that they made in their lives. And it was all because they were focused on, I want this to be easy for me. And I'll tell you, I thought of this quote in, in uh, um, Pilgrim's Progress, and it was when, when Christian was, was beginning his journey, and, and early on in that, he encounters the hill difficulty. And you, I can't remember who his companions were at that point, um, but I, I just remember that both of them noticed that there were paths that led around the mountain. And in there, in there they, they just said, well, I mean, this is just going to meet up 
on the other side of the mountain. And, and I remember the quote, I wrote it down, and, it's, and, and this was Christian's response to, to all of their, their pestering about, Let, let's, let's not go straight up and over. He said, though the hill is high, I still desire to walk up it. I don't care how difficult it is because I understand that it leads to the way of life. Amen. Amen. So that, that kind of hits that, that, that one battle that, that I was, we, a couple of us were working through here the other day. The next one was, what if we run forward with the Word of God and then we, we kind of fall flat on our face? You know, it doesn't turn out the way we expect. And of course, I, you know, you find yourself saying in that to just repeat what I said before, but, but I thought I heard from God. I thought this is what he wanted, you know, and it's, it's not hard for me to think about Moses and, and everything that the Lord has spoken to us. My point isn't to, to tell that whole story other than to summarize and to be able to say that we know that Moses was raised in, in Pharaoh's house. And yet the Bible says that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected the treasures of Egypt. And because he knew that he was an Israelite and he looked around and he saw that his people were, were enslaved. Now I ask you, on one level, was their enslavement a good thing? No, right? That, that, was, that was a very bad uh, situation. Was it a just or good or right situation when they begged for a little more time and a little leniency and they were told, no, you're going to be making more bricks you're going to be making them with less straw. I mean, it was a difficult situation. And so I'm asking you, at that time, were the burdens and feelings that Moses began to feel gestating in his heart for his people, when we know the full picture, would we say that those were probably the beginnings of God's burdens? I would say yes. I would say he was beginning to feel that. And yet we know that when he looked around and he saw something so horrible and unjust as an Egyptian slave master beating uh, an Israelite, he felt something come up in his heart. I would say that the initial feeling of saying, that's not right, well, that, would pro that was probably correct. But he went over there to try to bring deliverance, the first step, and he did it in his flesh. And we know that what happened was Instead of him seeing the purpose of God fulfilled, he, he, ended, up, he ended up out in Midian, fl fled for his life 40 years until he knew that the burden could be there. And yet he was reduced in his flesh to the place where he knew that he could listen just to the words of God. In fact, he felt the impossibility in his, in his, in his own nature as we know the story goes. You know, I thought about it and in our own lives, I thought about the line that we'll sing sometimes that says, fantasies and illusions, they're going to drift out with the tide. But if our dream is from heaven, then the waters will soon divide. And that is exactly what happened. Whatever, whatever was going on, and I don't want to presume too much of what Moses thought he was going to do when he went over there to deliver that, that, that Israelite from that Egyptian, you just know that whatever those things had all drifted out. But when he could come to the place where he said, God, I still am going to believe in your burden for your people. I can't do it in myself, but I'm willing to take those steps. Then he was ready to move out. Amen. This was the, the whole time that he was in Midian, God was absolutely helping him to take steps, was working in his heart and his life. And all of this was a process of God helping him to move forward and ultimately to divide those waters for the children of Israel. Thank you, Jesus. Probably the thing that came most strongly to my heart was, was when we look around at our circumstances. 
We can face, so, I mean, all we have to do is look at things naturally. And despite the faith, the hope that we feel in our hearts, we can be just like Brother Rowan mentioned, just like brothers, Brother Kevin was sharing, where we can just say, I mean, that seems impossible. And I, I, when I was praying, who came to my heart and my mind was, was the story of Joseph. I'm, I'm kind of stuck in Genesis, as you can hear. <laughs> but, but when you think about Joseph, I mean, I know that on this earth, because of sinful nature, there's probably nobody that can claim the ultimate status of being a victim. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only one who is truly a victim, who is truly tempted in all points as we are and yet without sin, was our Savior, Jesus. But I, I, I'm telling you, when I was thinking about all this and praying about this, I found myself thinking about Joseph and I thought, boy, I'll tell you, if there... And I'm not claiming that, I'm saying none of us can claim ultimate victimhood. But I'm not saying that none of us have been subject to very difficult circumstances. Ones that we didn't ask for. Some of them that we were born in, into. Amen. I'm not, I'm not denying that at all. But I'm telling you, I guess where I'm going with this, if you can understand me, is when you think about Joseph's life, it is hard for any of us to compare what we've been through and say that it was as hard or harder than what Joseph went through. Here was a young man who had dreams and hopes. And again, I, I want to ask the question, were those dreams that he had, those early dreams that he started sharing with his father and with his brothers, were those dreams from God? Amen. Amen. We see the fulfillment of what happened. Absolutely. So here's this young man full of hopes and dreams. He's, he feels like, God, I'm here and I'm, I'm so excited. And he is sold, betrayed by his family, betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and, and then he just says, well, that's it. I, I guess there goes my dreams. I, I, I just can't believe it. my circumstances make it impossible. No, there, right in the middle of his victimhood and his slavery, he lets God work in his life in such a way that he, he gains trust and prominence and a, and a place. And you could, you could almost feel like, God, you're, you're starting to bring some beauty from ashes here. And then we know that what happens, he gets falsely accused and, and actually falsely accused. And despite the fact that he, it's, it's not just that he didn't do something wrong. He was doing everything right. Yeah. He was being faithful and yet he's thrown into prison. And then after he's thrown into prison, he doesn't, he doesn't throw in the towel. He begins to, to let God work in his heart and his life. And, and you, you know the place of, of responsibility that it comes to into the prison. Then he meets these guys, and my point isn't to go into all the story other than to say that he sees there a possible hope that he could get an audience with Pharaoh, you know, that he could maybe have, have his situation revisited a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. and then he's left languishing in prison. And I say, if he looked around at his circumstances at that point, he would have every reason to say, this is impossible, and not just impossible, this is unjust. This is in every way unjust. I never asked for this. I have been betrayed, I have been enslaved, I have been abused, I have been lied about, I have been thrown into prison and forgotten. And I just found myself as I was praying saying, what if he had all of a sudden said in that moment, that's it, I, I, it's too much. And I'm telling you, I'm staging a hunger strike. I am, I want a retrial. I demand an audience with Pharaoh right now. You know? Can you imagine if he had been down there like that? He would have missed the fact 
that God was working and preparing all, the all along for an audience with Pharaoh. God was preparing him to participate in his great plan, but he did not want Joseph to try to get above and on top of this in his flesh. He was there chastening him, reducing him, dealing with him as a son, and was preparing to bear him up on eagle's wings. Amen. Amen. And that's why when he was in that place, whatever, well, I know I'm reading into some of this a little bit, but whatever was going on in Joseph's heart and mind at that point, we just know that he was ready so that when when was it the baker that was reminded of his faults? I believe it was the baker that said, today I'm reminded of my faults. Mm -hmm. And he calls him up. You know, uh, when, he comes before, when he comes before Pharaoh, he didn't, come, he didn't arrive there saying, oh good, <laughs> good, now I'm finally able to uh, you know, share my cause, my, my just cause, and, 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 and demand retribution or something like that, and, and demand deliverance. And, that's not what he was doing. I mean, I think he would have been shocked if Pharaoh said, so uh, there was a dream and I understand that, you know, he, he, would have, he would have been totally undone in that point because he wouldn't have been ready. But in that point, his own ambitions, his own, all of those things, he was trusting God. And in that point, he was reduced in that place that when Pharaoh said, I understand that you, this is my paraphrase, but you can interpret dreams. He said, no, not me, but my God. Amen. Amen. Can. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So when we face circumstances and situations in our lives where we face, we face such impossibilities and difficulties. Can we hold on to what God is saying? Let us not look down at that point and say, there's no step that I can take. There's nothing that I can do. God called me to move forward. I see where I should be and, and, and I see the impossibilities of it. I don't see it at all. Let's look and see how God would use us. Think about Naaman's servants. Brother Ossie and I were talking about something, and he, he mentioned this at, at, at one point, and I really felt the Holy Ghost, where, I mean, you think about Naaman's servants. Here was Naaman, who was, uh, you know, he travels from a far land, goes to see the prophet, gets offended by, by the way the prophet responded to him, you know, and then is preparing to leave, despite the fact that he's a leper and he's the one that's in need. How easy it would have been for them to go, you know what, I'm a slave, I'm just going to do what I'm told, I've got a really bad situation, and besides, this guy's making a huge mistake. But you know, we would never have this incredible, life-changing story of Naaman. We'd never have this to build up our faith, to help lead us and guide us as part of God's Word, if it wouldn't have been for some that didn't look at their circumstances, but found the purpose in that, to be able to make an appeal to Naaman at that point. And he was able to bring, he was able to change, Amen. and ultimately to be healed. So the thing that I want to share is, uh, as, as, I'm, as I'm drawing this to a close, is I just remember what has been shared with us from the first generation. I know we've shared this before, and I just want to make a brief uh, mention of it because I think it's important that God began all the way back on East 14th Street to begin to speak His Word to us and put uh, a vision in our hearts of Christian community. To look around at the culture that, that, that this church was being birthed in and to recognize that this was not the culture in which they were going to raise families and and, and a community, and this wasn't, this wasn't the context. This, this was to bring forth that type of fruit. And so I'm asking, was that God speaking to them at that point? Yes, it was. Was God telling them, move forward into my light that I want to start revealing to you? Yes. That was, and yet at that point, God's word came and said, at, right at the point when a perfect opportunity had opened up, one that seemed 
just ready-made for, for the, those of the community at that point, a piece of property. And right at that point, they felt the Lord speak and say, no, don't, don't, don't take that piece of property. Do not move there. I mean, you know, you can just say, really? What are you doing, God? I thought that you were, I thought you were going to open the door. And God began to speak at that point, and I, I'm, I'm not doing it justice, but when God began to speak that it, you're not ready for that, I am speaking to you about Christian community. You know, I am going to lead you into a land in which you are going to be able to thrive and make room for you in the land. Amen. Amen. But right now, I want you to work on, on your relationships. And, you know, I'm sure to a lot of the people that were there, I'm sure they could have said, what does that exactly look like? What does that mean? But because they didn't sit and complain at a rock, because they didn't, they didn't sit there and test God at that point, they instead waited. And you know what happened? I, I hear the stories of time and time and time again that the glory of the Lord would fill that little chapel down there and His Word began to come, laying the foundations of a revelation and a knowledge, working in the hearts of people, preparing them and knitting their lives together so that they would be ready indeed at that time to take the steps that He was calling them to. God brought water from the rock and God ultimately divided those seas and led them. And so at the time that it... it, it, it uh, that Colorado came to be at that point, and all of a sudden it was, they were ready to take that step, and all of them that I've talked to have said back then, we would not have been ready had we just moved. Now, did they do nothing but sit around in East 14th Street during that time, between that? No. As they waited, God then gave them little steps to take along the way, and God would say, if you feel this, just move across the river and start postage stamp little gardens in your backyard. And they would do those things. God would give them other revelations and they were willing to take those steps. They were moving forward the whole time and nothing was gonna deter them. And I know that I sit here today in part due to the sacrifices that they were willing to make and the faith that they were truly willing to express at that time. So I wanna, I wanna, I wanna just finish with this passage of scripture that I had in my heart. From Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and does not return there, but waters the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. So as God is bringing his word to us all these months, I mean, if, if, you, if you look at the Spring of Hope app, I've been looking at it, and you just, I mean, message after message of faith and hope telling us, move forward. Well, if you encounter trials and tribulations, don't you turn around. If you, if you try to move forward in it, and you fall flat on your face, and God has a lesson to teach you, don't you dare turn around. Amen. And not one of us look at our circumstances. Amen. We need to trust that if God's word is coming to us, it will not return void. Hallelujah. If we can just allow God to prepare our hearts, it is going to prosper, and it's going to grow in that for which it was sent. Amen. 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 And I've been singing that song all along. Not my will, but thy will be done, O my Lord. I'm not asking you to change my situation, for I know that it's my heart that's got to change. And your love will be revealed as I trust in you, and I'll be changed by passing through the flames. So in those trials, don't immediately look around and blame your circumstances. God may indeed want to lift you up and bring you on an exodus. But first, say, God, am I blaming my circumstances? 
Or am I looking to you and I'm saying, God, you change me. You test me. You treat me as a son. And in that time, I'll know and I'll recognize when you are parting the waters. And I'll follow you right through it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Not my will, but thy will be done, oh my Lord. Not my will, but thy will be done, oh my Lord. in you.